You're listening to the Better for America podcast presented by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Today, I am so excited to speak with Dr. Wax. Dr. Wax is a family physician. He's a media host. He's a health policy expert, and he's an AMAC member. I am so excited to have you with us, doctor. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you and your viewers and listeners today. That is great. I want to share a little bit more about you with our listeners. Um, Dr. Wax, you graduated from New York College of Osteopathic Medicine, New York Institute of Technology Medical School. Uh, you are a family physician and you do quite a lot of work. You, you uh, tirelessly advocate for the patient-physician relationship and for the free market uh, healthcare system that we enjoy. Dr. Wax also serves on the U.S. Congressional Subcommittee National Physicians Council for Healthcare Policy. So excited to have you. I certainly did. That is great. So Dr. Wax, I want to jump right in. We've got our members listening and, you know, the pandemic has created so much fear across our country. We've witnessed devastating effects on the economy and we've seen what it's done in our country. We know that people under the age of 50 are in good health, uh, who are in good health, are generally at extremely low risk of dying from the virus. But for those people at higher risk, especially our members over the age of 65, sometimes it can take time, even a few weeks after contracting the virus, the disease, to develop into something more serious. And I know that there are potential drugs being used around the world, generic drugs, inexpensive drugs. Can you share what you know about how best to obtain early treatment? And what advice would you give to our listeners who are at high risk? Um, Oh, sure. Those with heart and lung disease, for example. Absolutely. So we know people over the age of 70, perhaps even 65 are at increased risk just due to the number of rings in their tree. You know, some call age, calendar age, what have you. Some of us age more quickly because we, we do things that are deleterious or bad for our health. You know, we don't eat the right things. We don't, we don't drink primarily water. We don't exercise, you know, and, and we rust from the inside out. But um, many people, I think, are embracing exercise and a vegetable-based diet and taking vitamins, uh, you know, and drinking primarily water. And that really helps people get prepared um, to have your immune system in the best possible shape. Great and when advice. you're talking about COVID-19, one of the other things, I mean, obesity is a, is a huge pun intended, of course. Um, it's, a, it's a huge risk factor because it causes inflammation and the disease, basically, if you think about it, if your body has a lot of inflammation in it because you're much older or you have other concomitant health Uh, issues or both, that the disease adds more inflammation. And then the the body kind of thinks that, think about it this way, it sort of catches on fire. And um, COVID-19, you know, is not like the media says, it's a spectrum of diseases. So some people get exposed and they don't get it. And, you know, maybe it's their blood type, their level of health, it could be many things. But especially young kids, they, they tend not to get it. Or if they get it, they tend to get exposed to it they get antibodies and then potentially they're resistant to it. And certainly they don't need or or want any sort of mRNA vaccine or anything like that. It wasn't tested in children and children are healthy and resilient. And any pediatrician worth his or her salt will tell you that. So that's certainly not a population at risk. 
then we're talking about like middle-aged folks, you know, forgive me for pointing fingers, but whenever you point <laughs> a finger at somebody, you've got at least three pointing back at you. So right. I try to be the healthiest person I can because, you know, how can I, you know, uh, advise people on what to do if I'm not exercising an hour or two a day, have a vegetable-based uh, uh, eating style, uh, staying away from poisons and, um, you know, uh, trying to do all the things that are healthy for me. And drinking so, water, you mentioned, so important. I've got to drink more water, but that's a great, easy way to sort of help boost your immune system. It, it certainly is. And, you know, water drinking is fairly easy. There's a one side effect that's fairly important to know about water drinking is going to the bathroom. So, you know, <laughs> if you drink more water, expect to go to the bathroom more. Um, and the only other caveat other than making that expectation, because it's normal to go to the bathroom four or five times a day, it really is. Right. However, the, the lifestyle we've created is more along the lines of morning and night, and that's all I have time for. Yeah. But that can also set you up for kidney stones, gallbladder stones, not just COVID-19, so multiple other disease states. So I think your comment is valid and, and easy for people to do relatively, as long as you stop drinking within two or three hours of going <laughs> to bed, or you know, you'll, you'll find out what old men already know. That's um, right. About that sort of thing. So again, we were talking about um, healthy lifestyles to prevent COVID-19. And if you get the disease to try not to have a problem. But as I was saying, COVID-19 is a spectrum of diseases. So there's people that get exposed and they form antibodies and nothing else happens and they don't spread the disease. You know, they're not sneezing, coughing, uh, any of the type of symptoms that people might get to spread the disease. So, and then there's people that have a cold and it's quite simple. They have the potential of spreading the disease, but they're not super spreaders or what have you. But if, you know, you live in a family or you're rooming with other people, like at a school or something, um, that's possible. However, day schools don't spread the disease. Hugely important to beat that home. Schools are hugely important for society. They don't affect teachers and students in that way. They may get it in their personal lives, but they right. don't get it in primary or secondary school. So that's important to note. So there's people that don't get affected, people that get affected and have antibodies, people that have cold symptoms, people that have flu-like symptoms, which is fairly common. And that's something that you know, everybody's jumping on board with because now every viral illness is COVID on the media, you know. It sure um, seems like that. Yeah. Yeah. People I mean, are just so fearful. Yeah. All the colds have disappeared. The flu has disappeared. Every mononucleosis completely gone. Chickenpox, <laughs> everything's gone. Everything's now COVID. And if you use U07.1 diagnosis code, you'll get paid extra. Anyway, Ugh. I'm just, I'm just I understand. teasing. But, well, but seriously- Sure. There's so, definitely been, uh, media has been behind really, I think, uh, I, I fault them for creating, I think, more fear than they have good. And, and I, it, it brings me to a couple of other questions that I wanted to ask sure. you. First and foremost, I think our listeners are really curious about your answer here. How sure. safe and effective do you believe the vaccine to be? And would you recommend people 65 and older well, that's a Getting great a question. And I also want to get back to the early treatment initial question, Good. but I'm happy to that's talk important. about the vaccine. Which okay. would you prefer that I do first? Well, tell us about the vaccine and then how, and then 
share with us how we can prevent, um, you know, take steps early on to prevent the disease from really becoming uh, a life-threatening situation. I do believe that you've shared with, with folks uh, in other ways. And I've, I've heard and listened to so many great videos that you've put out there. And well, I think it's you. important knowledge that people get armed with the facts, but um, first and foremost, uh, should those people 65 and older in your professional opinion, sure. get vaccinated? So it's, it's a great question. So the vaccines came up rather quickly as an endeavor of the white house and private industry. And um, they basically stepped on the gas and they paid no attention to stoplights and they just drove really fast just to get to the end. And the question is, what is the end? So these are the new kind of vaccine. They use mRNA or messenger RNA, which is not something that's usually been done in the past. So it's somewhat experimental. Um, it's been permitted by the FDA. Now, the FDA usually requires millions and millions and years and years of studies to make these things go forward. Usually four to 10 years is, is what you usually sure. see. This was done in six months and it was done over what they call emergency use authorization, where the idea is, is we need this so badly, we're gonna skip a lot of the safety steps and we're gonna try to move to the end. The sure. other thing is, and this is a common misconception because you know the, everybody on TV is telling you, go get your vaccine no matter what. Well, right. it's not a no matter what thing because there's side effects, risks and problems with the vaccines the Pfizer mRNA vaccine, which is common, has side effects, as does the Moderna vaccine, which is mRNA. Also, it seems to have less side effects, but there can be problems, especially for, for younger people. It was never studied in people under 16. Plus, for, for well adults, the risk of the vaccine may be greater than the risk of the actual disease. And that's and that's a huge issue. The, the thing that I think is most important to your members that may be over the age of 60, although, as I said, I'm, I guess I'm a youngin on your, on your membership. You know, <laughs> thanks for that, being uh, in my mid-50s. You but, are uh, You're anyway, one of the young ones. <laughs> get them early. Feels um, good, right? <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. Um, exercise every day at five in the morning and make sure that I have a so great day. Good. But at any rate, so we were talking about you know, the risk to your members, you know, 65 and older. So in my opinion, the mRNA vaccines that were, you know, pushed really hard, really fast, they skipped certain animal studies. They were studied not to prevent getting the virus. So they don't make you bulletproof where you don't get the virus. However, they were studied to minimize viral symptoms which is a different thing. And it's much easier to demonstrate and prove than it is to say that you'll never get this virus. And, and you know what I'm saying? And never sure. is a really strong word. So it doesn't prevent you from getting the virus. It just minimizes symptoms, which is a much lesser thing. And that's important to note. So my gestalt or my thinking on, on this uh, vaccine is um, I'm currently recommending it with caution as individualized per patient because it's not FDA approved. It is under emergency use authorization, which is a, a temporary short time approval until they can do all the full studies, but that would take years. Interesting. So, so, so I'm recommending it for patients if they're over 70, because those are the patients that are much higher uh, risk than others, or sure. patients under 70 that have 
concomitant medical conditions, previous heart attack, previous stroke, previous cancer, um, current diabetes, things that raise that level of inflammation that I was talking about, which is the major cause of most of the diseases that, that humans get to our knowledge in, in, you know, in the 2020s um, to this time. So I am not recommending it to folks less than 70 or don't have two concomitant illnesses. I'm not recommending it to well adults in the middle age and I'm certainly not recommending it to children because children are resilient um, and don't spread the disease as we were worried that they might that in, they might. in March. Sure. Can you explain why two shots of immunization? Uh, I, I thought that that was odd. I, I, can you explain to us why there some right. of these so uh, providers? It's, it's, it's a good idea. And it's interesting that, you know, Americans are now all about convenience. You know, we want, yes. and I mean, I'm going <laughs> to, quote this hackneyed expression, you know, we want the one shot deal. Yeah. We want, we want it all. We want it now. We want it free. We want it Instant yesterday. Instant gratification. Why isn't it here yeah. So some shots, as you may know, especially the ones to viruses, um, like the shingle shot per se, um, and um, the two COVID-19 shots that are under emergency use authorization here are two shot deals. So basically what happens is, is it's introduced under your skin into the muscle, it's absorbed and your body basically says, oh my gosh, I need to do something about this. I need to respond to it. And, and basically the body responds in a primary way to all of this as if it's just been invaded, which it sort of has. I mean, if any of Makes you has had a needle introduced into your tissue, it right. feels like an invasion. Yeah. Um, you know, into your private parts, um, <laughs> in, you know, your arm or, yeah. or your, wherever it's being given. Um, so, and at, by your private parts, I meant muscles, just so nobody gets yes, upset. Yes, yes, I knew you meant that. Me, you know, <laughs> don't kick me off Twitter for that. Um, so having said that, your body responds. Now, what they do is, is they measure um, how the body responds and then what happens as a result of it. The other thing that they do to sort of hedge their bet is they give you a second dose so many weeks out to say, here's another response. So if you think about it, um, sometimes people with flu shots or pneumonia shots, doctors um, and, and government authorities for what they're worth um, will recommend you know, taking a second shot if you've never had one before, just so that you definitely get more exposure for example, um, with flu shots, there's a single strength flu shot, which most adults get and seniors can get too. And then there's a senior flu shot, which not only has the four flus in it that are inactivated, it also has, it has a, a, a quadruple dose, you know, that's in there. So I think it, it may be a triple dose. It's either a triple dose or a quadruple dose, frankly and honestly, that basically you respond a lot more to. So maybe 80% respond to the first one, maybe 87% respond to the second one. So, so again, I'm just picking numbers out of a hat, but I'm trying to teach concepts here, which yes. I think are the most important things because then you can apply them to anything that comes down the pike. That's right. So going back then, early prevention or, or taking care of yourself early on when you first Surely. were diagnosed. Uh, I want to give you an example. A family member of mine, 77-year-old um, woman, had the coronavirus, and I was shocked at how well uh, she was able to handle and manage the, the virus. And essentially, 
was fine, you know, uh, said this is not very bad. I've had the flu has been so much worse. This just felt like a really nasty. Sure. Right. Type thing. Uh, But what I said to her was, please call me the minute something doesn't seem right. And you you've got to be able to know your body and and know when something seems bad. Is there anything that uh, folks can really pay attention to so that they can detect very early on, hey, I need extra help here. You know, uh, for example, sure. this family member of mine, she was not given any type of special drugs, but she was told by her family physician, uh, if you start to feel a lot worse, then call me and, and we'll, 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 you know, try other uh, measures. Sure. Uh, well, so what should people know, know about that? The, the government and the media won't tell you this, and okay. only physicians Listen. in the field will tell you this. And this is important. And I mean, there are certain physicians, um, not only nationally, I'm part of a consortium nationally, as well as internationally, that, that have found in our experience in the last year with this, that there are many repurposed generic drugs that have mechanisms of action that actually worked toward this illness. And it's interesting to find that government entities say, well, we're not going to back that up or, you know, people selling immunizations will say, well, that competes with us. And a hospital say, well, you know, we're paid to innovate people. So people should stay home. And if they need to get innovated, come right back. And, and unfortunately there's a ton of stuff you can do. So we talked about all the good health stuff. That's really important between a night's sleep and a vegetable based diet and, and taking your vitamins every day and drinking water as your primary beverage, eating vegetables, not smoking or drinking and all that stuff is hugely important. Having said that, in addition, there's multiple other things that can be done. So the symptoms for this, as I said, are on a, on a, a there's a, a variable symptom. So it, it can be anywhere from no symptoms to a cold, to the flu, to actual pneumonia, which is fluid and infection in the lungs, all the way to respiratory distress syndrome, which that's when you need the hospital. And yeah. that's when you may need, God forbid, intubation, which we all want to fight because that's an issue that once mm. you get that far down the line, like any disease, there's a lot of damage that's already done. And once we're talking about the camel's back is full of straw, just one more Mm. piece and the camel's back breaks. And we certainly don't want that to happen. So if someone is experiencing any sort of symptoms, that is to say they're, they're having muscle aches, they're having fatigue, they're having cough, for example, One should think, hmm, maybe this is more than a cold. It could be a flu. It's possible it's COVID, although there are other viruses, viri, I should say, out there. Um, But at that point, um, I would definitely contact your family physician, internal medicine physician, or whoever does your your primary health care and say, and I would and I would talk to the staff and say, hey, I have these symptoms. They're of concern to me. Um, maybe we can do telemedicine. So that way I'm not actually coming in and potentially spreading it to the staff. And right. I can tell you the staff appreciates that very yes. much. Yes, um, they do. Because everybody cares. So <laughs> they, having sure. said that, um, unfortunately, a lot of the things we're doing, like masking and things like that, really aren't that effective. I mean, they're tokenary things that we can do. However, masking healthy people you know, there's a big question about that. And again, don't toss me off a of LinkedIn for, you know, having a, a, an academic discussion. But if you have any of those symptoms, so we were talking about 
fatigue, muscle aches, cough, um, sweats, chills. And I'll add one that's pretty much a cardinal symptom that if you have any of that stuff and all of a sudden you go to eat your delicious dinner and it tastes like sticks, twigs, wood and leaves, chances are you've lost smell and taste. And that's a cardinal sign of SARS-CoV-2, which is the causative agent of COVID-19. At that point, you should definitely assume that you are sick with a disease call your family physician, internal medicine physician, or whoever delivers your healthcare and say, hey, I have these concerning symptoms. Do you provide early treatment? And early treatment is so important. And thank you so much for bringing it up. We've actually been um, published in a cardiovascular journal, um, myself, 24 other physicians, and Dr. Peter McCullough, who's at, um, he's a, a cardiologist in, in Texas at a major university hospital that has published on this subject. And it's important to consider multiple things. So hydroxychloroquine and zinc work very well. Azithromycin, which is an antibiotic that has anti-inflammatory components. Remember, I described this as an inflammatory disease as most human diseases are. That's very, very important. There's also something called ivermectin, which is an old drug that's been out there a long time. In fact, even veterinarians use it from time to time. I have a few vet patients and they're like, hey, I got, I got 10 wow. pounds of that at that, back at the office. And I'm like, <laughs> well, if you ever need it, you got it. Yeah. So there's also other things <clears throat> and there's over-the-counter things. Um, there's something called N-acetylcysteine, which sounds complicated, but it's quite simple. It used to be a prescription and now it's a supplement over the counter that works very well. Um, vitamin D is very important, vitamin D3 specifically. Um, there's melatonin um, that also can be helpful. Also, it can help you sleep because this, this disease um, can also interfere with your sleep. Sure. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, I was, uh, I guess, unfortunate enough to be exposed to it um, of all things by my family doctor, he wore a mask, I wore a mask, and we were feet from each other. But sure. unfortunately, he came down with it because a patient a few days beforehand had coughed in his face. Total accident happens in medicine all the time. And nobody right. can be mad at anybody. But you know, stuff happens. So he found out that he was exposed. And then Later, um, I want to say nine days later, I had a flu-like syndrome and I thought, oh boy, this could be that. Let me check to see if it's the flu. My flu testing came negative. So when I went home and I had that sumptuous, would have been delicious, spicy, savory, <laughs> salty meal, and it tasted like sticks, twigs, and leaves, I thought, Doc, you yeah. got this. So at that point, I put myself on five different medicines and over-the-counter supplements. And unfortunately, I didn't have my own doctor to consult because he was sicker than I was. Sadly. Oh boy. Yep. So I got early treatment with five medications. I still struggled. I had nighttime sweats um, every hour. I had to change my night clothes. It was really, really concerning. And I thought, wow, I'm doing telemedicine for people all day long for people that aren't as sick as I am. And I'm pretty sick. So despite the fact that I'm well, my thought is my risk factor was my blood type, which is AB positive, which may have made me mm. a little more susceptible to a, a worst case scenario. So I contacted Dr. Um, Peter McCullough, as I was saying in Texas, um, and 
And he suggested, he said, you know what? In all that you're doing, I would also add on steroids and aspirin, which is a later stage type of medication because this whole early treatment concept, you can use two, two medicines, you can use three, you can use five, or you can use all seven plus other supplements. So it depends on how sick the patient presents also. But the sooner you treat the patient to be more resistant to this, the better you do. And I, it, it not only makes sense, it bears out in clinical practice. So with seven medications and supplements on board, two days later, I turned around. Third day, I was able to do an hour's worth of yoga at dawn, which was trying to get my breathing back and, and right. trying not to cough. And four days later, I was actually able to, to bike at, at five in the morning as I'm one to do at 34 degrees outside wow. in the winter. Good for um, you. 21 miles. So um, I'm back. And now the good news is too, everybody says, well, are you going to get the shot? Because you were really sick. I said, frankly and honestly, no, I'm not. Because my body now has cellular immunity because I've had the disease and I have humoral antibody immunity. So my hashtag on, on, on Twitter and social media is I am herd immunity because I've had the disease with early treatment. I did very well. And now I'm here to tell the tale. I'm resistant to getting the disease and I can help better empathize for my patients that actually have differing levels of disease. And just one side note, unfortunately, um, the physician that I, that I had met with that potentially I might have got the same variety or strain from, mm -hmm. rather than seven medicines and early treatment, he got three medications Unfortunately, he developed bilateral pneumonia. He was put in a big city hospital. He got intubated. And unfortunately, after a central line was placed to help deliver medications more efficiently, he had a pneumothorax. Oh, so his boy. lung popped like a balloon. And sadly, he had to have a tracheostomy tube put in. Uh, so again, yeah. we hope and pray for him and we want him to have a good outcome. He's a very nice man and he does very good work for patients. But I can tell you that is a story that is sort of a parable for what happens when you don't treat aggressively from the get-go right. and you do aggressive early treatment. So please, anybody out there with concerning symptoms like we discussed, call your family physician and say, do you do early treatment? And if they say no, we just support and recommend you know, hydration move on, find somebody that does it. There's actually an organization, AAPS, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, that is aapsonline.org, that actually has a search that can help you find physicians that are participating in this. And they've also published on this very topic with regard to helping all physicians and healthcare people better understand what we physicians in the field have found over the last year, we could literally save hundreds of thousands of lives domestically and internationally, potentially millions of lives. It's, it's utterly amazing yeah, what knowledge we can is do power. if and, we and put share. our mind to it and patients right. are educated and they're not paying attention to, to, to all of the media frenzy where everybody's hair is on fire, you know? That's right. Two other questions. I had the virus sure. myself back in March of 2020. Uh, mild, I guess you could call it in that uh, I had, I've been sicker. 
uh, and was able to, you know, get better. Uh, after about five days on the sixth day, I really started to begin to feel much, much better. No real long lasting oh, effects. I have an O blood type. Is it true that an O positive or O blood type is uh, preferred or seems you, you, those that- Well, it's o interesting because I don't know that there's any definitive research on it. I've seen a couple of papers. And again, I have my own anecdotal and patient experience because I may be positive and I, sure. and I, despite all of the best habits and best health and I got clobbered, but I did make a good um, recovery with early aggressive treatment. Um, I would say that O blood types um, tend to do better and women tend to do better than men. In fact, women do better than men in damn near everything medicine. So <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm sorry to announce that. I'm sure it makes my wife happy. I'll go along with that giggling. one. <laughs> but, but women do better than men and Interesting. O's do better than ABs. And, and we're trying to, to figure out whether it's A or B that's the real, the real culprit here. But frankly and honestly, it's multifactorial. So, you know, the best you can do for yourself, in addition to knowing your blood type and paying attention to how that research um, sure. uh, comes out, um, it's important to, to absolutely have your best health, to understand early treatment, symptom identification. Oh, this is really important too. If, if you think that you've been exposed to somebody don't go test immediately. It takes days to develop um, antibodies and to shed virus if you're going to do it. If you're not symptomatic, you don't have the disease and you're not at huge risk for spreading the disease right. if you don't have symptoms. It's possible you've been exposed to it, might have antibodies to it, may shed, but it's highly unlikely. And don't test just to test because there are false positives and if right. you get a false positive and you feel well, you will lose two weeks of your life and a paycheck. That's good, good, good advice. I, I agree with you there entirely. Test now, only under physician orders when you have a relationship with a physician and you've got a, a work group together on sure. what's happening now. Is a test necessary? Does it match my risk? Are there other risk factors I need to know about? What about right. my exposures? What kinds of tests are there? What are their pluses and minuses? Do I need to do a test? Hugely important questions that everybody's just yelling, test, 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 test. And frankly and honestly, it's misplaced and it's a waste of resources. Yeah. Now, assuming uh, you know, I had the disease, I had the virus, I'm completely better. I did go for a, 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 a coronavirus test, I guess it was about 30 days ago. Now, when you say test, travel. there's, let me just talk about that real quickly, if sure. you don't mind, because I think it bears this is important. So yeah. there's a rapid test, which is a nasal swab. And it's a rapid test that comes up within the hour, that test is not very good, frankly and honestly. A lot of false that positives, was the test a lot I, of false yeah. negatives. It misses a lot of things and it overamplifies others. Frankly and honestly, I don't tend to use those because I'm a physician in the classical sense where I think clinical symptoms right. and examination basically should guide what should you're doing. Guide. Tests are for confirmation or if you're really on the fence and you don't quite know, that's right. what my thinking is. It's not, it's not the be all and end all. So now, that's the rapid test. Then after having that rapid test, they told me, they, they, they showed me, they gave me a printout and they said, you're negative. Mm -hmm. And then the antibodies 
we're so small, uh, right. for lack of a better word. In other words, it almost appeared as if I didn't have antibodies. Um, well, let me let me let me further. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure with the details of your story, but let me just get through this briefly. So there's the rapid test, which isn't very good. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, there's a lot of them out there, but 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 I don't have a lot of faith in them. There's the PCR test, which is slightly better. There's still some false positives, false negatives. Again, it's a nasal swab, or sometimes they do a mouth swab with that. Um, it usually takes 24 to 48 hours to complete because what they do is, is PCR stands for polymerase chain reaction, where they think about a copier, they make copies and copies and copies and copies 20 to 40 times to see if they keep making copies, right. if they're gonna find a piece of something. Now, it can identify um, parts of the virus, but it can't tell if they're live or not live or just parts. And sometimes it's confused by other coronaviridae, which are common colds. So right. that's why I think people shouldn't just run out and get tested. They should test only under physician's order when there's an established case going on. So that's another type of testing. And then there's antibody testing. There's immediate antibody testing, like, hey, do I have this now? And a lot right. of labs shy away from that because they don't want people who are sick coming into their labs, their draw sites, because then everybody who comes into the draw site might be at sure. risk. So they don't tend to do that specific test called IgM that way. However, there's what's called IgG, which tends to tell, talk about longer term immunity. That's the humoral immunity that we talked about earlier that people that have had the disease now, now have, and they may have for decades, which would be wonderful, but it depends if the virus mutates or not. But we, we don't even know that yet because it's, it, frankly, we haven't seen generations of it really much. So um, if you have antibodies to it, you can consider yourself pretty much immune. There's a big controversy right now whether the shots do a better job at creating um, antibodies and cellular immunity or if the actual natural disease does. does it and I'm going to say from a classical standpoint, from my position and opinion, having the disease done with, your body has what's, what's called um, cellular immunity and what's called humoral antibody-based immunity. So you've got there's no reason on the green earth, in my opinion, to get a, a, an, M, uh, an mRNA shot, whether Pfizer or Moderna. Moderna or any others that I know of, when you've had the natural disease and you have all of that immunity going for you. Having hmm. said that, if you're over 70 or have multiple medical conditions, it is an individualized choice that should be discussed with your family physician who's knowledgeable or internal medicine physician or specialist who's knowledgeable about these things and can help you understand what the current, not only research, but the current experience is demonstrating. Because well, the shot, you. the vaccine is not for everybody. There are side effects and problems and there will be for many years. So just to be aware, it's not, it's, not, it's not the salvation, it's not the thing that's going to bring governors right. and government to, to peace, world peace. It's not gonna do it. Right. It's gonna help potentially, especially with, with seniors and those with concomitant medical illnesses that are inflammatory. Whoops, sorry about that. That's Let okay. me try again. I, you, you may have to edit <laughs> me a little bit there. That's okay, we'll let that roll. That so, was fun. <laughs> um, 
So it's really important to discuss with your physician what your personal risks are with regard to getting the vaccines. It's not for everybody. Right. And we see that schools are closing, right? And teachers unions are so in favor of the children getting vaccinated. You spoke earlier that children are not the ones that are at high risk, nor are they really transmitting the virus. Um, Correct. And, and the shots weren't studied. I mean, they were really rushed out the door. And I mean, I'm not saying that they shouldn't have been. Certainly, I'm glad that we have something that's maybe yeah. useful. And that's good. However, kids are really resilient. The vaccine wasn't tested on kids. And kids don't really express the illness as we were afraid they might. You know, in March of this year, we all thought, oh, my God, if we don't close schools, the kids are all going to kill their parents and grandparents. And yeah. it was it was such such a big media blitz and government worry. And frankly, and honestly, it never materialized. Schools should be open. I Teachers agree. aren't at risk at schools. Kids aren't at risk at schools. You know, they're not there that many hours. There's distancing. And even if you want to throw masks in or face shields or whatever, all of those things are benign and useful for our society. I mean, my gosh, um, because of government uh, concerns and misinformation, we're damaging a whole generation of young people that they're going to have to be the yeah, ones they won't who get are that time back. Be the I mean, it's a member someday, you know? That's right. And it's a year lost of, of good education and just such an important time during their growth to, uh, you know, to be in social settings and to so learn how to get along. So don't be afraid of your grandchildren. That's a great message. And the science and the data backs everything up that you're saying. I mean, this is science-based facts is that um, it's not the young people that we have to worry about. So grandparents or parents that are watching, wondering if their little ones should be vaccinated, your your professional opinion would be at this time, there hasn't been a tremendous amount of um, study and research on Correct. the vaccine and young people. So you might say you'd hold it's off. It's not even it emergency use authorized for those under 16. So you know, we right. have a New Jersey legislator who's trying to legislate it for all kids. It hasn't been tested on them. It's not necessarily safe in them. And frankly and honestly, with the way that the disease may or may not manifest in children, it's not necessary. Natural immunity is better. I mean, think about two generations ago, chicken right. pox parties and what have you. I That's mean, right. We have parents, to remind ourselves. Especially yeah. moms and grandmoms were great epidemiologists. They were, they were brilliant <laughs> infectious disease doctors. Really? Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, getting back to my question about immunity, for those that have had the virus a year ago, let's say, is it possible that the the immune system could forget that you've had this disease and in fact, you can get reinfected? Uh, have you seen so that? That is a great question and that, that will be fought for months and years to come. Mm. My, my own opinion classically with the education I have and the over 20 years of practice experience I have, we're going to have years to decades worth of immunity from naturally occurring illness because of the cellular mechanisms I mentioned and the antibody or humoral mechanisms that I mentioned. So I think we're going to be in pretty good shape going forward. I mean, as long as the thing doesn't mutate or, you sure. know, depending, you know, if this was, you know, formulated in a lab and somebody's still not tinkering and, you know, that 
you know, is a, a whole nother show for sure what the source of all this is. But And it's not unusual um, that we're seeing different strains. We're reading, right? We're, I, I picked up the, the paper, you know, on my app and saw several articles about various strains in different parts of, of the country and outside the U.S. don't let it set your beautiful hair on fire, please. Okay. You know, no reason to run around screaming, my hair is on fire. I don't know what right. to do. Because, this is natural. You know, this is natural well, with viruses that we see various. Yeah, it, it does. And you know what? Of... Viruses are interesting because they need hosts to survive. So, right. so you know, unlike, unlike humans, um, they basically need our mechanisms to reproduce them. And if we can do our best to, to wash our hands, you know, to distance appropriately, and for gosh sake, stay home if you're sick, talk to your doctor. Yeah. We want to, we definitely want to protect the vulnerable. I mean, there's, there's a lot we can do and protecting the vulnerable. I mean, in the early part of the pandemic, their governors made this political decision to force sick people into nursing homes. And unfortunately the nursing homes weren't prepared for this sort of thing. And in fact, they even resisted, but you know, governors will be governors and they will make decisions. Um, and unfortunately, in the state of New Jersey, we lost over 8,000 because of our governor's ill-conceived decisions. And not only did it kill seniors, it also spread diseases across our state, which right. was, you know, I, I don't even have words for all of that. It but really in is a shame. We'll but I think words. our governor here in New York was too busy writing a book during that time, sadly. Right. Enough. Well, you know, he, he got an award. I'm still trying to figure out for I what. I can't but, figure that one out know, either, um, Dr. Wax. That's too crazy. Frankly and honestly, New York handled things poorly. New Jersey, Pennsylvania, yeah. Michigan, and California are among the worst performers. And you know, it, it's unfortunately all along political lines and it really shouldn't it be. Really it shouldn't be a so partisan terrible. issue. And I don't think anybody should be calling each other names over this. We should be discussing risks and benefits for each individual. That's right. Now, you do a lot of work. You, you're a media host. You've got a lot of information <laughs> out there with respects to getting the news out. Do you think that our outlets, these news media outlets are doing a good job providing information to the general public, including the treatment advice. Uh, and well, I'll be honest with you, not only are the news outlets and, and government organizations doing a, a poor job on every level, social media has actually taken an active role in censoring things. I mean, it I've been kicked shame. off LinkedIn for talking about different treatments that were alternative to mainstream media. And, you know, they put you in this loop where you can't talk to a person and even possibly resurrect your account. Um, Twitter is attaching, you know, um, uh, warning signs and kicking people off. I mean, there's some pretty high profile people that have been kicked off of Twitter lately, I have to say. But um, Facebook has been doing that for a long time. And all of this social engineering garbage has to stop because if they're going to be a platform where they're not responsible for anybody's posts. They need to let everybody post. They need to I allow agree. it all. They need that is a great vigorous point. free speech. I mean, because look, when they can... start acting like a publisher and they start demanding things go or stay or they block things, then they need to be legally responsible and lawsuit. 
That's correct. You can't have it both ways. I mean, they can talk about cholesterol. We can talk about Alzheimer's disease. You'd never see if people were having a, a conversation about Alzheimer's disease and there was a community of people sharing their personal experiences and what works and what doesn't work. Sure. Nobody would be shutting that down. But what's happened is we've seen it and it's so sad. I mean, they really politicized the whole virus. They've used it as a way to attack Donald Trump. We know that. Right. I think cudgel uh, is the proper word, but that's fine. Oh, you're you're very you're very right about that. Well, this was so good. It's very important that people hear the truth and understand that the the things I just want to highlight so important to pay attention to how you're feeling and understand if you notice any of the things that you've described earlier, especially loss of taste or smell, um, along with other symptoms, see a doctor. And if you're older, if you're over the age of 60, or call, even better, call the office. Telemedicine is great. They may see you. We do telemedicine just to try and provide some distance, but we can provide great care in that way. Now, telemedicine is not a substitute for right. in-person care. However, in a pandemic situation, it can be invaluable to prevent it. the spread of illness. And, and Medicare does provide for those. It does cover the cost of those services. For With folks. no copay for the moment. That's right. So it's important. <laughs> and thank you to our president, Donald Trump, who actually allowed for that. And uh, so now we've got access to great telemedicine or telehealth Dr. Wax, thank you so much for being with us today. This was really great information. I do hope that you'll come back soon again, because I think this would be great if we can have you on once monthly and you can provide us with updates. Our members, uh, really, this is important. It, it's, uh, it's important to everybody, but I love the fact that you are really getting a lot of information out there that unfortunately we're not hearing in mainstream. So thank you for your time. Well, thank you very much. And if I could, um, just one shameless plug, if anybody wants to learn more about um, early treatment, you can go to my website, which is health is number one, spelled in words, health is N-U-M-B-E-R-O-N-E.com. And there's a library there with information. But if you roll to the bottom of the screen, there's an interview I did um, with Dr. Peter McCullough of uh, Baylor in Texas, talking about this very topic for 25 minutes. And it's eye-opening. It really is just like the work that you're doing there and that AMAC does every day. Thank well, you again thank you. for your support and assistance in this matter in getting good quality information out to the people that need it, want it, and benefit by it. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Wax. So look forward to having you with us again next time. And to all of you listening here on AMAC's Better for America podcast, don't forget to share this uh, podcast with friends and family and join or renew your AMAC membership. You're doing such good when you do that. Uh, thanks again. And we look forward to seeing you all back with us next time. Thank you for listening to the Better for America podcast. To learn more about AMAC and all it has to offer, visit us at www.amac.us.